Welcome to Everything Renewed Podcast. This is Wes Morgan. Listen, everyday people operate under habits and mindsets that prevents growth. This podcast is here to address those habits and mindsets and dismantle negative stigmas. We truly believe that if you start with the mind, everything can be renewed. Let's go. It's another day for your mind to be renewed. My name is Wes Morgan, and thank you again for joining me today. Um, Listen, I'm excited. I have a heavy hitter in the house today. I've been honestly waiting. Um, And when I say I'm excited, um, maybe that's the wrong word, but I'm delighted. I'm honored to have this special guest to take some time out his schedule to come and talk with me. Um, I really don't know how this how this episode is going to go. We might have one or two, three different episodes. We don't know, but we're we going to rock with it. Um, you all know that we've been covering stories of people in the lives um, that has been impacted by the stories that they want you to hear. So you can have a renewed perspective and some additional insight into some things in the lives of other people that you may have never met Today, um, I want to introduce my brother and my friend, uh, Pastor Ezra Tillman. Uh, he's a proud native of Detroit, Michigan, currently the pastor of First Trinity Missionary Baptist Church in Flint, Michigan. Uh, he's a renowned Baptist preacher. Uh, he, he's going to let you know he, he he's Baptist, right? And he's active in numerous uh, Baptist organizations at the national, state, and local level. Uh, he has an associate degree, two master's degrees, working on his PhD, so he's soon to be called doctor real soon. Um, and probably knowing him, he's going to go and get another doctor. I don't know. He's all, he, he always have his hands into something. Um, I want to take a little time though this one is personal for me uh this not just another episode but uh, i want to take some time to highlight the community work um that pastor ezra is involved in um it is as we're shooting this episode currently right now for us it's black history month but you know we black not just in one month all <laughs> every day of the year right but my brother my friend uh he's an accountability partner uh to me and in my own opinion he has easily earned the title of a civil rights activist um pastor tell me he's known to fight against social injustice um and the impact of the lives of all uh, oppressed people we heard of joanne robinson uh harry hay rosa parks carter g woodson in the light and today i introduce to some and to others the pastor ezra tillman jr my brother what's going on what's going on west man good to uh be here thank you for sharing this uh space and platform to kind of um uh, you know inform others and to give a grassroots perspective of what we're dealing with and what we seemingly are dealing with across this country and continue on to generation to generation the same thing and uh you you're glad that you get a chance to speak and leave something on record that may help to evolve into some resolution in the future but we're just glad to be here man and honored man man i'm 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 appreciative of your time and we we go way back this is a childhood friend of mine uh brother i don't even like saying friend he he's a brother he he's on me we get in arguments he get to check me uh he get to holler at me and guess what it, we don't do that whole silence passivity stuff you know if we in our feelings uh, you're getting called out and he his mouth is bigger than mine so he has no problem <laughs> calling you out um get you right get you tight and get you back into the fight um 
<laughs> I, I'm trying to honor as big. So my leader, uh, Pastor T, always taught us, you know, you honor the office of um, a pastor, someone, a clergy person. So I know him as Ezra. I also know him as pastor. Uh, I know him in so many different roles, but he, he's a buddy of mine. But let's start right here. Uh, off the cuff, this is uh, something I didn't prep him for. Um, Ezra, tell the people, uh, what's something you want to accomplish this year? alone something you want to accomplish one thing i want to accomplish is um actually a platform uh likened to this where um i've learned the uniqueness about the way we were raised you know uh, mm -hmm. our, our grandparents in church uh, then their children and our, our families don't grow up together then our generation like three four generations type thing and you realize in the space we live right now that the generation behind us has no type of connection at all to what we was exposed to but our parents being uh, baby boomers and silent years, et cetera. And uh, is a lot of things lost in translating between our own children, our home, because we just can't fathom how their minds and emotions are uh, developing. And so I'm trying to find a way to kind of link uh, our beans and greens concepts to their McDonald's and Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, Coming sometime this year, then we we can be expecting to hear uh, from the Ezra Tillman uh, podcast. I don't know I what it's going to be called, but yeah, we we're going to expect it to be out. Um, I want to jump right into it because there's so much meat here. Uh, and like I said earlier to our listening audience, you are in for a treat today um, because a lot of times we work off assumptions. We work off gossip. So what we're going to talk about today is the Flint water crisis. Um, back in 2014, I believe it was June, and my, my time frame may be wrong, but matter of fact, I believe it was April uh, of 2014. Uh, for me personally, uh, a picture showed up on social media, and um, I believe it was a gentleman. Someone was sitting at a fire hydrant. And it was brown, muddy looking water uh, coming out of a fire hydrant. And it was just going into the streets and it was a picture. And then it became a video. And you would think, OK, it's just a little rust in the, the system. But no, this was an ongoing thing. This video was probably, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, three to five minutes long. And the water was just disgusting. And I know just looking at it for 45 seconds, I turned it off because I'm like, Ugh, but not knowing that this was the beginning of a huge crisis. Um, so I want to really uh, attack the myths, dispel all the, the rumors uh, with you and um, my listening audience. I can I can literally hear somebody. Well, why are you interviewing him? What he got to do with it? Well, if you don't know. Uh, Pastor Ezra Tillman, in my opinion, was the face um, go-to person of this Flint water crisis from uh, representing the city, not just representing his church, but he's a, a community man. And he was right there um, on the ground working immediately. So I, I want to be quiet and I want to ask you, um, Ezra, what happened? Um, how did this uh, water crisis even come about? Well, from my understanding, um, the original problem of the water was the city of Flint was the largest um, consumer of Detroit, which we know from being close to the city, that there was always an issue about this black city that controlled this resource of water. 
and all of the surrounding areas have always tried to find a way to get that particular power um, from Detroit area. Over time, that happened. Uh, but in the meantime, Flint was one of those, one of the highest consumers, or whatever. And they're trying to find a way as well to break away from that. And they came up with a plan to um, switch from the pipeline to Detroit water to um, Port Huron water, which means a whole other pipeline had to be built. Uh, and that project was on the way of making it happen. And it was understood that some particular people, local, may have had some interest and investments in that taking place that would fortunately on this end make them rich. Uh, but beyond that, the timeline of cutting off the water and saving a certain amount of money, which some have said breaks down to a dollar a day. This crisis happened from the decisions of local people, uh, local officers, such as city council, et cetera, who agreed to separating from Detroit water uh, and getting the proper resources it was being properly uh, cleaned and treated uh, to take on this new venture. And in the meantime, uh, they're making decisions, saving money, and uh, uh, the timeline of the line actually being prepared and prepared to switch over, they switched to the Flint water, uh, Flint River water, mm -hmm. which historically for years have been known as a place of toxicity and those who have been raised here since the uh, 40s and 50s have been warned and knew better even, even fishing in it and playing in it because they knew of the uh, local businesses that dumped their chemicals in that particular water. And then in doing so as well, it costs so much for that water to be treated if it was going to be used in order to be drinkable and usable. And um, I think maybe it might have been possibly, and I'm just missing years now, I don't want to misquote, but you know, the stuff, the stuff can be Googled. It may have been maybe a, um, I say like a $9 million job, right? Mm. And they only spent like a million or $2 million into actually preparing before they switched over. That's, again, another local decision that was made on what they did and not carrying out what was necessary to take place. Uh, then uh, as the water was switched over, uh, those people who supported that uh, signed off on it, which was misleading to the city that was prepared for them to use it. Uh, although, although it was still some people here that had some apprehension about it and always was using probably bottled water since the 80s anyway. Uh, so that's why it wasn't widely known up, for, up, up front. Uh, so as it switched over, the brown water started to affect people's clothes as they washed clothes and and then in certain areas, as you've seen, coming through the faucet. Because by the time now, because the water had been treated, it's stripping now. All the coating of these pipes is stripping now more rust and rusting out the pipes. And uh, people can see the water is bad. Uh, one part of the story that is not known or shared uh, as, as largely as it should, the cause of death of the Flint water crisis is, was by a disease called Legionnaire's disease, which is a form of pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And if you would just check it, and those who want to do it, and there's other things out there from the state and others who recorded it, uh, the death rate doubled and tripled in 2014 to 15. Mm -hmm. uh, and they wrote it off as pneumonia, but they didn't want to acknowledge it as Legionnaire's because it was up the ladder and it was being hidden from the state, the government, of what was actually going on. But locally, the um, hospitals knew of things that were going on, and mainly the funeral homes knew of the causes of death that was taking place and others who were suffering, but it wasn't making the news. Mm. So 
uh, that was mainly what happened as in a switch over to an unprepared system with the proper treatment uh, off a bad decision. And it took place because uh, of some choices that was mainly attached to these inner cities in Detroit that were taken over by uh, city managers. They were being hijacked because the governor was appointing people in places such as Pontiac, Saginaw, and Flint to take over and make the mayor uh, a puppet that was not operating as a strong mayor. They were being dictated to, or they was being told what's going to take place and their school systems and everything else was being taken over, which is a plan for inner cities such as what we live in, mm. uh, predominantly black to fail. So uh, as you look at all these cities that took place, it's poor schools, it's poor services uh, on all levels and it has not repaired. Mm. So, that's part of the story. Then another end is looking at that um, it was the governor who signed off on it as he had been reported to of things took place for state workers who were here that was making complaints. And Jerry Motors who came out uh, with a front page story about how they wasn't using water because it was rusting their pipes out. They made it known as a local hospital was coming out saying that we know here, uh, it was uh, McLaren saying we know that because of our system and heat, in uh, our um, radiation system, we know that legionnaires may be something that was um, highly detected in this particular place because of how old our infrastructure is and how our hospital runs. And so people start trying to come out like giving disclaimers to say, okay, we acknowledge on our end, let's do something so we're not sued, but yet local government was overlooking it and still paying people vouchers for their water and clothes being destroyed, but not addressing that we know the water at home is harming you and doing damage. So what happened was a local um, doctor, uh, doctor, um, I can't call her name right now, um, but she blew the whistle on it and said, okay, the levels of lead in these children, blood is out of control. And by that time, the backdrop is that she was being muscled as well from other people and powers and sources of her security of her job and everything else about doing it, but she did it. And over time, you know, that became one of the, the uh, blasts that kind of got to the ear of Rachel Maddow and, and people like that, uh, that started to cover the story and bring the actual um, acknowledgement across the country what was going on. And then we found out locally why that, that story got out, how there were county workers, city workers, who were lying and, 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 and fixing the test levels to cover up what was going on. And as well on the same about the testing of water in certain wards around the city to say the water was, was all right and still trying to cover it up. And so that led into a new mayor coming in, uh, Mayor Weaver, a first black woman, um, mayor of our city who was still operating, not as a strong mayor, but a strong mayor, but declared that it was a emergency, but really trying to get it being known as a crisis so it can get uh, um, the funding across um, from America and, and the government uh, to, to acknowledge it and get FEMA and other people to come in. But it was still one of those things because now the governor is being exposed and it matters on how much you expose to come back heat on him. So he never allowed it to be a crisis as we use the word, it was an mm. emergency. And that's wow. why the funding never came in to acknowledge that this was a national uh, crisis and one of the worst experiences that took place on American soil during the time in which we live and years to come that's going to repeat this story and, and let it be known. 
but it was still covered because it was a politics that originally started it. Wow. You, you said a mouthful and a couple of things, like even when I'm hearing the story um, and, you know, I know of um, I know of some some history with it, uh, because even when I was watching it, I'm watching you on CNN, I'm watching you being um, being requested to report to Washington, D.C., where you're you're giving speech after speech, presentation after presentation. Um, and for this uh, situation, this crisis, um, it was um, from what I'm understanding, it was the third largest outbreak um, in that form of disease that uh, I'm going to say pneumonia, it's a form of pneumonia, um, but the third largest outbreak in U.S. history, right? That That's huge. But more importantly, what makes me very mad, and I'm, I'm not even trying to be all political today, but what really makes me mad and frustrated is the fact that not only were lives affected and lives were lost, but these were inner city lives. These were um, you know, I know a lot of people lives were affected by this. So both black and white, but we're talking about inner city um, kids. Like you said, the 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 lead that was in these kids that was being reported by doctors. Uh, so kids are being suffering, uh, suffering due to greed. And someone you mentioned it earlier, right when you start talking about the power that was in Detroit. And so for them to take the power um you know, and to try to hold all of this money. I don't know. He say, she say stuff. Uh, you know, it was reports that the governor's wife, she has something, um, her own company or at the time, Governor Snyder, if I'm not mistaken, uh, his wife had some, um, some, some things to do with this as well. Um, some power and position and authority in regards to this, um, the switch of the water. And so I want our, our listening audience to really understand what's actually took place in Flint and what's still happening right now. So you have a group of people um, that have, they did have clean water, they didn't have a water issue. Um, but then all of a sudden we're gonna switch to quote unquote, save money. But really it was a power, a power move just to obtain power, to keep money and then not really caring for the people. And the fact that you have people, and you correct me if I say anything incorrect, um, you, you have individuals working for the state, working for the government, lying, changing reports, so that way the governor can still keep control of what's happening and signing off on stuff while the people in Flint, the citizens, are literally suffering and dying, all for the sake of power. And that that yeah, that that makes me mad. And what if I fast forward to maybe, uh, let's say 2019, uh, no, 2020, when we I don't want to take the conversation away from um, the Flint water crisis. But I, I, I remember listening, especially here in West Michigan, um, you know, when Governor Whitmer, she was mandating masks and she was shutting certain things down. Oh, the state was in uproar, like, oh, you know, take the power away from this governor and do all of this. She don't care for the people. But I was scratching my head and very frustrated because I was like, what was that same voice for the people of Flint when Governor Snyder was in office and you all were suffering and these people were suffering, people were dying. And unfortunately, history is being made, but it was no noise. There was no, hey, let's check the governor um, who, you know, he didn't, 
I think a couple of lawsuits came, but that got hushed and pushed under no type of jail time, but some people, if I'm not mistaken, associated with him, um, some people got, you know, put in jail for their, um, for their participation in this Flint water crisis. So what, let me ask you this question, the population, um, what was the population of the people affected? It's hard to tell because there wasn't a direct detecting of the problems as we speak right now, you know, because there's other levels, like you said, about the water crisis, because it extends to now lawsuits, lawsuits that were approved, then who is to be recipients of it. And then now they got to prove if they was affected by it, people are dead. <laughs> you know, families that didn't wow. have anyone to, people, people were going to the hospital and people were dying and you was putting the wrong cause of death on the death certificates. I mean, this the level of evil goes so deep. I lost a cousin here uh, to the Flint water crisis. She had lesions on her brain. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, but how can you go back and detect and prove that she, she spent the last four or five years of her life, um, well, well, I would say like the last three, four years of her life, uh, bedridden mm. uh, in her mid forties. I mean, but but wow, sorry to hear that. Wow. I, I mean, but you know that that's that's our, our story, man, and that's our reality. And you know, people always want to sympathize, empathize with the end result, but they don't want to be courageous enough and, and to be just enough on the front end to make sure it doesn't happen, right? Mm. Uh, it's just it's a bad. It's, it's so sad what happened to those poor people, those black people, and it's always a downplaying of sympathy. But if it's true sincerity then you, you are advocate on the front end to correct what's wrong, right? Mm. So to really look at it, we can't tell because the projection of what was being said was, you know, which was more leaning towards the, the sympathy, empathy piece is to focus on the children. But we weren't considering you were killing the elder mm. that had to take water every day with medicine, mm. had to bathe and go about doing things, whatever, they already compromised systems, they're already trying to survive. And what that was doing to them, we had a local pastor here that was affected by the water and didn't even know it. He had went outside, cranked the car up and was and spent about an hour and a half or something running around the house trying to find his keys. And even though that he had started the car already, he was outside and running. Um, wow. I mean, we had children um, and grandchildren uh, stories being reported back of how they were uh, watching their children uh, grades change from A's and B's to F's uh, in a matter of, uh, of a semester. And that's because uh, of what? Because of the exposure of lead over that period of time, not being detected or even knowing, even know how to go and to detect it. And then even when you were going, being lied to of what actually was in your blood. And so, and and mm, go ahead. So so I I want our listening audience to hear this though, because you're you're talking about different things that's that was taking place, but I don't want us to quickly rush over the reality of what was happening in Flint back in 2014 and even now. So let, let me kind of make this simple. So what I'm hearing you say is that because of this water crisis, to brush my teeth, even use the bathroom, to bathe, to take care of myself, to cook, to cook food, you have to operate from a bottle of water and not just for, oh yeah, boil your water. You couldn't boil that. Am I correct? And that's the problem about the misinformation that always wow. happened to our communities. People were boiling water because, you know, some many of us got Southern roots thing. We know that's a form of purifying that you strain the water and all the above. But at this time, that leads back to the original problem that was uh, the cover up of that 
Legionnaires was something that was was being um, inhaled from mm -hmm. steam and water. So taking the showers and things of that nature, whatever, it was detecting your lungs and getting you sick through that. So boiling the water, you can't get rid of lead boiling water. And you were, were called to do boiling um, alerts because that is typically something that is done in other cases. But in this case, whatever, it made it worse. And wow. we weren't aware and people still were doing it out of habit and lack of information. Yeah, because when even when we when there's a storm, you know, all around our state, sometimes power go out and they, you know, advisories go on the TV. Hey, you need to boil your water. So I can see, you know, the people I, I want to make sure I say this. The people are not at fault. The citizens, the Flint, they're not at fault. They're just doing what they can do. But I can imagine. OK, first of all, here we are. There's a water crisis, but you got to get water. And then all of a sudden there's a shortage of water. So now you have to go on national TV. Um, you have to make a plea. You on Facebook. I cannot count the amount of videos I've seen you on uh, and asking and begging churches, community leaders. It don't matter who you are. Can y'all give? We need water. People are hurting. And then there was one particular video you did and it literally brought tears to my eyes you were driving in your car um and you were driving through the city and you were trying to get to your church but you were even caught in traffic because the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars that was lined up for miles and miles just to get one one pack of water and so to see people from like detroit and then next thing you know here come national news so you have um I saw uh, Jada Pickett-Smith came, her and her son, and, and we're we, we going to talk about that too, but all of these athletes, people all over the world contacting uh, your church, contacting you and others in the community, and I do understand there was others in the community, um, you know, trying to be a site, a host to re retrieve water. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, tell our listening audience, what, so you get this water crisis, your next step was what? Well, my, my point was trying to find out what it fit. Honestly, I tried to avoid any contact with it because I'm a new pastor. I'm in my early 30s. I take on a nationally known uh, historic church after a pastor, um, pastoring 42 years. Um, and those who are clergy and, and of African-American uh, experience knows that pressure and that hard transition into older churches. That's why so many, you know, ref refuse to even consider a established church and try to start on ministry because of those kind of potential power struggles to take place. And then also have responsibility of carrying a good example so others behind you and equal to you can get opportunity. So they're not blocked out because of their age mm -hmm. and, and such of, of doing a particular ministry. So I was trying to fit and, and maintain and control the responsibility and demands of, of this particular ministry, which was very high when I got here. I mean, um, the, uh, the meetings inside of the church, uh, the meetings about the church, <laughs> about the, the, the visitations, um, about the Sunday school preparation and, 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 and Bible class sessions. And I mean, all the above, uh, it was enough and taxing enough to get involved. And I'm, I'm feeling the pressure of doing that, but the conviction got me involved. And so as it went and by the grace of God, there's no other reason and no other cause that you can, you can even make up about it. It's just what it was. That particular mantle fell on me 
And I didn't know who I was and I didn't know my voice and I didn't know this lens of ministry. And that was a new birthing of me in the middle of it. I just knew I had to respond. And when I respond, what the truth is, is that it was not other churches. It mm. was not other churches trying to be a hub. And that brought more friction about me trying to get the appeal for people to respond because you were thinking that was the case. Now, was <clears> other churches that was involved and engaged with certain things according to capacity, but not on this level, not on the national level, not across the country, not on platforms with the radio and news and back publications. That was not happening. The truth is that happened when we got involved and it was a connection between the awareness of it and Black America responding to, if you remember that particular piece that um, Dr. Jamal Jamal Bryant was doing called, I guess, Insomnia, uh, when he was doing these um, social media pieces on Periscope at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And he made a declaration, I'm coming to Flint. And somehow- I remember that. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. And somehow, first trendy name fit in between New Jerusalem and and House of Prayer, because he asked for the biggest church in the city. You've been here. You know, I ain't got the biggest church in the city mm-hmm. and by no means. But the point was, uh, it got called out. I was in Birmingham, Alabama at a convention and I was getting called up. Well, I was at late night service, getting called off to get this recall because it was being known it was coming. So as I started out, this is the truth. This is the storytelling. I immediately, by respect and honor how I was raised, went to my elder, one of the particular leading pastors here that was leading on the government level of fighting for a lawsuit and wherever that, cut, that, what that means, a finance to come to the city to respond to the water crisis. I went directly to him. I called him at one o'clock in the morning. Immediately, once I heard from Jamal Bryant, I called this pastor. He wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted nothing to do with it, right? So it fell in my lap, right? I'm the new guy. I'm here. I got something going on. Is a movement taking place? How are we not going to receive our help? So I talked to Dr. Bryant. We had a conversation, agreed to him coming. We started to set up the environmental justice rally. And then there was an interest. Oh, well, you think you can do it at my church now? No, no, sir. Uh, we already got everything settled. It'll be at first Trinity, whatever, on this particular date. I'm So after on. it got, hold on, slow that down. Cause see, I, I want people, I want church people to hear. Too. I'm going to tell it. I, need yeah, it I know right you, Eric, cause I, you, I, I, you I'm have I'm no filter. That's I ain't going to call no, I ain't going to call no names. I know. Tell it. <laughs> but yeah. be, because here it is, you, like you said, you went to your elders, you went to the elders of the city, call them in the morning. They don't want to have nothing to do with it. And I remember, I do remember uh, Pastor Bryant doing his stuff on Paris Road. And when he mm-hmm. said he coming to Flint, he said he was bringing people with him and That's it right. blew up. Yes, it sir. Blew up like yes, probably sir. within a matter of two hours. It was if if we ever seen a, a experience of what Black America looked like, we saw it during the Flint water crisis. Mm-hmm. When when they blew the whistle, we showed up. It was one of the most beautiful experiences I've seen in my life. I'm totally committed now to social justice work and, and for the rest of my life because I I was a recipient of it. I was part of it. I was able to see the benefits, see lives change. Uh, but us coming together, doing something to be done for us, by us. And it was it when it was a church move, to say the least, in an in a anti-church generation. Thank it you. was a church that responded to this. Yeah. That's who, and, that's who did it. Yeah, and, and by him blowing the whistle, coming to Flint, because I remember, I don't even think this was the same day, if I'm not mistaken, because you had like all your celebrities was here, Russell Simmons, all these people sitting up in your church, uh, in a pulpit, and you yeah. took over your office. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reverend Jesse Jackson, you know, yeah, and I'm right. sitting up here yes, like, sir. 
overnight. Right. Like you said, here you are in a whole nother state and you probably had to rush back. And so after this meeting take place, this, this big, um, I don't want to say production, but this calling to bring people together, what, what happened after that? Or even, even there, what happened there? What was the result of that? The result of that phone call was me seeing how leadership and how the uh, logistics of leadership take place in the black community. Um, once Dr. Jamal Bryant put the word out, he pushed the needle. Mm. I mean, he pushed it. I had this, this, it, I'll never forget it, Birmingham, Alabama in 2014, January, uh, winter board meeting. I had 30 days because as Black History Month started, it was the first week in which we actually had, had the, the rally. And he was on every night. Wow. He was on, he was getting commitments from Lowe's and others. He like, we shutting Flint down. We coming. Get ready. We coming. We coming. We finna go. We finna, we finna make it happen. And so I was still trying to find a way to orchestrate on my end. And then that's, that's another angle about, I want to share about the pressure and position of leadership in our communities. It became more impressed because I'm trying to find a way to help people. Now you got the resources coming, but you don't have the undergirding and administration to make it happen here. I'm trying to maintain a church of retirees and I'm bringing one, like you said, one of the biggest production this city has ever seen through this lens, right? I didn't have no, no um, contracts. I, I didn't know nothing about publicists. I didn't have nobody in, in, in I mean, it blew everything up, man. We, we, we had the church and then we had the outreach piece that, I mean, had the news coming in. I was getting interviews from overseas, people's college students trying to do their programs. I mean, it was nonstop. My health took a hit. Um, I'm getting phone calls at, at three, four o'clock in the morning from California telling me the eight Willis pulling up my church in, in two hours. I mean, it was just crazy how I'm going to receive all this. It just flooded in because the word got out and he was still pushing needle on him, making uh, the impact on that particular day. So the whole time over that month, I was being in flux with water. I had to find places to send it. Uh, and it was exposure me about how people make a monopoly of business. We were not getting any assistance from local people to get a high low. We was getting gold. We wasn't getting help from um, um, uh, Hertz or or U-Haul for discounts to pick up water and make things happen. We was getting taxed. Uh, and as time went on, and over Prices a year, went up, time, huh? so price, uh, uh, Walmart. And they start taxing. I mean, and as you go watch the water right now, we just getting pallets of water, man, maybe $132. Now, all of a sudden, it's $342, you know? So so it it, it got worse and worse, and we're still trying to find a way to receive the help we would get. And this is the point that is is common to the African-American experience in urban areas. You have to help your people receive their help. Say that again. Wow. You have to help your people receive the help that they need for themselves. Hmm. And that made it more taxing because now how do I get the water to mother so-and-so who's at a high rising and she can't carry this, but she need water for everything. Now you need, you need support. You need manpower. You need all the above. And, and you, and you trying to find ways to make that happen. So it's so many levels of this story, but from that point to say the least, we had to organize and this where the behind the scene hero of Superwoman is Sister Katrina Monique Tillman, mm. who, who put her 
uh, advertising marketing hat on and got on top of it and start to deal with the publishing and, and things of that nature. And on the other end, I had help from a um, uh, one of our deacons, um, skill administrator, uh, Deacon Quarles, who started to manage the end time of water and when the trucks were going out and leaving and, and what the arrival times would be and then what sites would go to because at that time there wasn't a place that you could store the water at that's what i'm trying to tell you what's church is trying to be in position they want attention for it as we know mm -hmm. as well we yeah. want to market and we want to use something as a platform to seem as if that we are community uh minded and based but truth is and people in the city know it there's a lot of churches a lot of city ain't doing work for nobody Mm -hmm. And I'm not blaming the point of fingers on all means, but they, it was something that still tried to play the community card when it was going on. Mm -hmm. Right. So when water actually came, I've been to meetings with other pastors and, and, and things of that nature saying, listen, I have water coming. If you need water, please help us. Uh, I, I can send it to you. We don't have the storage space, whatever. And nothing. Right. So That's then sad. it became it, be, it became an attack when you start to say, listen. I've done my due diligence. I've respect. I've honored my elders. I've went to that means. I've sat in that means. I, I've done all that, whatever. And because I was the outsider, it still was a matter that you had to be proven to be a leader versus being accepted as a colleague. Hmm. And so as it started to come in, I had to now manage how I'm going to get this done. And by the grace of God, over time, the state started to make space at certain warehouses. Remember, we're still in an industrial city. This, this was mm -hmm. the birthplace. You know, Flint is vehicle city, not Detroit. Detroit is Motown, but GM was birthed here, right? So you still have the same dynamics. You know, a lot of these places now are shut down the, the, uh, since the uh, the crash of 08. Uh, things like, people have gone to places, whatever. Mm -hmm. So they were sitting there, but they weren't available. So so the government made that available, and we started to make sure that happened. So I started to make sure I could produce what I could on the ground because at the same time, uh, there was another issue about water being done because once the water was being provided by the uh by the state at the time we had to pay a million plus dollars or something for national guard to come in to service the water to people and then you had to show your id card to get the water but you know now that's the issue because we have immigrants here we have yeah. a large hispanic community that still doesn't speak english which is one of the last particular people we were able to link with to help them at the time because in spring of 15 uh spring of 16 they were still drinking the water and was not aware because there was a language barrier oh, yeah. and that was not a person reporting to that community on the news what was going on they was in a crisis and didn't know it wow and so we partnered with um uh our lady of uh, Guadalupe and the deacons there and we started to help and get filters and things there at that time whatever but the point was we're trying to find places to get water too because it was coming in great fluxes and we couldn't control mm -hmm. it so when we get to february by that time we already whipped to death right <laughs> so we're trying to make sure we don't have a, a spectacle that people pulling up here and it's just crazy because that was the point we're gonna come shut down flint and i just i guess i had too much pride that i wasn't gonna receive help and not be organized so mm -hmm. as it came, we was able to have those particular trucks assigned to certain places, be if they were uh, Penske trucks or they were 18 wheelers, and we was able to stock up and then afterwards have resources at our pace and time to get the water out. And that's what led into further work with uh, the Smith family over those mm -hmm. next two, two and a half years uh, yeah. uh, under that particular uh, response to the, uh, the rally. Wow.
listening audience, I want I want you to hear this. Um, we we are gonna do a part two. I'm gonna stop it here, but I um, we're gonna start um, episode two with an update, um, starting with uh, Jaden Smith and um, even his mom and the partnership that took place with um, uh, Pastor Ezra Tillman and the First Trinity uh, Missionary Baptist Church and even the community of Flint. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, stories are very important. Uh, we grew up. Uh, as children being challenged to never just go off gossip, but go off the source. Um, that's why I didn't have to go fight and trying to find somebody. I know I can go right to the source because I seen it. Um, this is a trusted man. Um, Pastor Ezra, where, where can people, uh, we're going to stop this episode in particular, but where can people, uh, let's say there's somebody listening and they want to still impact or send a blessing or even maybe find more information about uh, what's happening in the community. Um, is there a website or even um, an email address that you feel comfortable sharing with the listening audience? If someone wanted to get in contact, give a money donation. I'm always pushing money too. I don't care. I'm pushing it because they need it. And the people of Flint, unfortunately, you're going to have to come back and listen to episode two so you will know what Flint is looking like as of right now in 2022, but we're not covering that until uh, the next episode. Yes, sir. I appreciate that, man. And to make it known so people will know, I got a phone call today of two 18 wheelers who are coming to us right now. And now we don't even have the space no more because wow. we have been kind of far removed from that. But the demand and people are still drinking bottled water. You know, even with the record declaring that, I guess Flint has some of the best water in the country, but you, you it's so much mistrust and lies about the reporting and the testing, you know, who's to say that it is, right? We didn't caught you lying about the lead. We didn't caught you lying about the test water. So now you're going to tell us that it, it, it's testing A1 now. Okay, right. And we see there was no penalties done for those who did it to us on top of, we're going to trust you for water. All right. Yeah. So you can inbox <laughs> us, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that, that, this why that, that, that good training for my generation, man, but our parents have taught us, you know, how you know how dare you insult my intelligence right exactly right? but 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 it happens all the time it's a continual fight man but you can uh reach us on uh facebook uh first trinity ministry of baptist church you can inbox us there uh you can go to first trinity church uh dot org uh and you can uh, find sources to give to us there on givelify uh first trinity ministry of baptist church of flint michigan you can give um um uh, if you want to contact our church, it's 1226 Beach Street, Flint, Michigan, 48502. And uh, you can contact and mail something in. Um, and furthermore, we can uh, share, uh, if you want to support the further work that we're doing, we get to later with Revive Community Health Center, which is um, the uh, future and the end result of the Flint water crisis, our response to it as we're not dealing with the health of people that have been compromised and disparities in our community, um, such as the water crisis and beyond. Mm. I appreciate you, brother. And for our listening audience, um, and uh, let me attack something real quick, and then I got to let the people go. Uh, for those of you who might be like, I don't want to contact the church. Well, let me let me smack you in the face real quick. It was the church that helped the community. Just like back in the day with the activist work, literally started all in the church and you had people from all different walks of life coming to the church for a common 
uh, good. And the same thing is happening even to this day uh, in response to the water crisis. First Trinity Missionary Baptist Church was packed out with people from all different uh, walks of life uh, in that church, um, being themselves more than welcome um, and the money, everything, the people were helped. So First Trinity Missionary Baptist Church has been proven uh, as a good source uh, and people are still giving to the church. So please uh, go to sleep with the whole, I don't wanna give the church money because it's the church that was helped, that is currently helping transform this city. I spoke something to Pastor Tillman um, over the course in the middle of this uh, water crisis and it came to me in prayer. And I said, Flint will become one of the most flourishing cities in this in the state of Michigan and it is currently happening right now and it will, and it's still happening stuff will be restored and it's going to be one of the top cities in the state of Michigan so um again thank you listening audience um just give us two weeks uh you're going to be able to hear Pastor Tillman again with the rest of uh the story of the Flint water crisis again thank you for joining us and Hopefully you, your mind has been renewed by the information that you have received. Um, take care and we'll catch you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Everything Renewed podcast. I hope you heard something that was helpful and that you can relate to. Do me a favor, like, share and subscribe to the show. Remember, start with the mind and everything can be renewed. Until next time, stay fresh, stay cool and stay renewed.